Walters is open for lunch Monday through Friday. Walters opens at noon for lunch, midday baseball watching, and even the occasional European soccer match. So if you find yourself around the ballpark during the day, make sure you walk on over to Walters. Walters is the place to be tonight with your friends as Max Scherzer pitches at Wrigley, the Caps have Game 3 in Boston, and the Lakers and Warriors meet in the play-in game. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Next pitch. Swing a high drive, deep center field. Robles going back to the track, to the wall, and there it goes. David Bodie gives the Cubs the lead again with his third homer of the season. It's Chicago 5 and the Nationals 3. And welcome to Nats Chat for Wednesday, May 19th, 2021, along with Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Well, here's all you need know about what happened for the Nationals on Tuesday night at the Chicago Cubs. The Nats scored three runs or less for an 11th time in 15 games. Something that should be the exception has become the rule. Another game in which the Nats offense doesn't do nearly enough. 6-3 loss at the Cubs in game two of a four-game series. Second consecutive loss to begin the series. The Nats fall to 16-22 and on the season. Two for 12 with runners in scoring position on a rainy night at Wrigley. Mark, it feels like we've been here before this season. I was just going to say, Al, I think we've had this discussion once or twice or 10 times already in the first month and a half of the season. It's not good. You know, it's one thing to be 16 and 22, which is what they are, and to have done it in a couple of different ways. Maybe you have some bullpen blowups. Maybe you have some bad starts. Maybe you have some crazy games that just things don't go your way. But there is a recurring pattern here, as you just said, and it is a complete lack of offense. Now, I mean, they gave up six runs. So it's not like the pitching staff was great in this game. But as we've been talking about, there's no margin for error. They can't win a game when the pitching staff does give up anything. And here's another stat that kind of goes along with it all. This year, when they give up five or more runs, they are one and 15. Now, of course, you're going to lose more often than not when you give up five runs, but you got to be able to win some of the times. And they've only done it once so far because I think that was opening day, actually, which was seven, six. When you just don't have any kind of offensive threat, this is what happens. And, you know, once you're down by the middle innings, there's just not a whole lot of reason for them to come back. And and that's a a troubling development for them and concerning about, you know, what may be in the long term for them for this season. I think what's also really emerging is concerning is this. Save for Josh Bell, 
everyone else is kind of doing what you expect everyone else to be doing. It would be one thing if you had a bunch of guys with great track records and you're saying to yourself, well, you know, they're just not playing to their potential. We know these guys are better than what we're seeing. Beyond Josh Bell, and that's kind of a separate conversation because he is so streaky and is so up and down, everyone else is kind of doing what they've done in their careers. Like, it's not like someone who has been great has been awful so far this year. It's kind of like, no, these guys are where they are. I mean, Juan Soto hasn't been himself since coming off the injured list. Okay, fine. But by and large, like Jan Gomes is doing Jan Gomes things. Starling Castro is doing Starling Castro things. Kyle Schwarber has been better lately. This is what this team is. And I think that's the concern is that this isn't a slump to begin the season. This isn't a rough patch that the Nats are in the midst of. This is who the Nats are in 2020-21. That's the real fear, I think, if you're a Nats fan at this point. I would push back on you on Soto because I think he is much less than he should be right now. And even before I got hurt, he was starting to get going, but he wasn't really hitting quite to the extent that we have seen from him. And I think back to spring training, and it was a topic back then that he was hitting a lot of ground balls. And that's exactly what he's still doing now. Now, a better game on Tuesday, a couple of hits, including a double. I don't know that he alone is going to make the difference. But when you're talking about potentially the best hitter in the league, who's just not at all looking like that, he hasn't been awful, but he's not looking like who he's supposed to be and certainly not hitting the ball for power. That alone could make a difference in some of these games. Not in all of them, but in some of them. So I would push back on that. If he was hitting 320 with a 450 on base percentage and this was still happening, then I'd be concerned. But he's not there yet. So that's the one area where you could say it should get better. But I do agree with you on the rest of them, especially now that Schwarber's starting to hit. I guess it just boils down to that they went into this year just assuming that Josh Bell was going to be a force in the middle of the lineup. And when he's not, there isn't somebody else ready to take over that spot, and, and this is who they are. So sadly, it may boil down to they're going to have to get brilliant pitching to win games. They're going to need their starters to go six, seven, and give up two or fewer, and they're going to need their bullpen to be almost perfect and never blow a lead. That may be the formula they're going to have to take, and right now they have some games where they do that, but not consistently enough. Yeah, I'm anxious to see when Soto does get going. He will get going. I think we all understand that. But baseball, obviously, is not basketball where one guy can just carry the team you know, for months on end. The greatest individual season any Nationals player has had, Bryce Harper in 2015, came in a non-playoff year. Like As great as Harper was that season, the Nats didn't make the postseason that year. Like One guy can only do so much. So to me, even if Soto catches fire, and he will, he's going to be better than what he's been so far. I just think this offense is going to end up being underwhelming this year unless some things really turn around, like Bell catches fire and Schwarber becomes even better and, you know, something like, I don't know, Carter Keeboom gets called up and and he rises to the occasion or something like that. They just kind of are who they are at this point. And it's been really difficult to watch. And, you know, you hate to like put the epitaph on a team six, seven weeks into a season, but it kind of just feels like this is what the 2021 Nats are. You know, hopefully they end up proving us wrong in that regard. In terms of some of what did go wrong in the 6-3 loss at the Cubs on Tuesday night. So I mentioned Schwarber. He's been a lot better lately. He did not have a great game, though, on Tuesday night. 0 for 4 with a walk and a couple of strikeouts. Left five men on base in the game. Grounded out with runners on first and second and two outs to end the Nats' two-run fifth. Struck out with runners on first and second and one out in the top of the seventh. Starling Castro finally got a hit, and it was a homer, a leadoff homer in the top of the sixth. So that was great. But he himself left six men on base in the game, grounding out with runners on first and second and two outs in the top of the seventh. And then, you know, beyond that, I mean, Victor Robles, 0 for 3, had a two-out hit by pitch, top of the eighth, but struck out, not much going on. Jan Gomes went 0 for 3 in the game. Josh Harrison, 1 for 4 with a single, okay, fine. 
Trey Turner, one for five, RBI single. Okay, fine. You mentioned Soto having a decent game, doubling a single. That was good. Ryan Zimmerman did a pretty good job. Two for four, two singles, a walk, and an RBI. Bell did have a pinch single, a first pitch single in the top of the eighth. But this is what it was. You know, a parade of singles. Castro had his homer. Nat scored three runs and lose again. Like, rinse, wash, repeat. It's, it's happened many times already this year. Well, and that raises another point, and it kind of ties in with what you were saying before about when you look at each player's individual stat line, you're kind of saying, yeah, that's, you know, not that far off from what I expected. But here's where the problem is. It's not so much what they're doing. It's when they're doing it or when they're not doing it. You said Starlin Castro. Hey, great. Finally got a hold of one, 433 feet. You know when it came? Leading off the sixth inning with nobody on base. He came up three other times with runners on base and didn't produce. They were two for 12 with runners in scoring position in this game. This has been a recurring theme and a recurring problem for them that they are not delivering hits at the right moments. And they're so reliant on singles that it's really hard for them to string together any kind of rallies. You know, it takes three, four guys reaching base in an inning for them to score a run or two. They're not doing it with one big swing. Well, guess what the Cubs did in this game? They hit a two-run homer, David Bodie. They hit another homer, Ian Happ. They had a two-run single, by Contreras. That's how they scored their runs. And to me, it's about the timing of it. You have to be able to deliver hits in the right moments. They are not doing that at all. Now, I suppose you could say that is one of those a little bit fluky things that should even out in the long run. And maybe if guys are hitting at certain levels that are close to where they are for their career, eventually enough of those are going to happen in the right moments to score runs. But I think that's the most troubling thing to me is that they are just not coming through in the right moments and they're not hitting the ball in the air. If there's one ballpark in the big leagues to get the ball in the air and it's Wrigley Field, you know, especially on a, on a warm day when the wind's blown out. One of the Cubs homers, the second one by Hap, it went 369 feet into the little basket in left center field. That was a home run in Wrigley Field and nowhere else. They do that stat cast stuff that measures how many ballparks. 29 out of 30, it would not have been a home run. Get the ball in the air, especially there. Make something happen. This team just keeps hitting the ball on the ground. The 2021 Nats really have become a poster child for the launch angle craze. And, you know, people love to push back on the launch angle stuff and they say, oh, it leads to all these strikeouts and, oh, it's you know, three true outcomes and blah, blah, blah. This is why the launch angle thing is a thing because otherwise you hit a parade of singles like the Nats have done this season and you don't maximize your offense the way that you can. To your point about the runners in scoring position, you're right. It can be kind of flukish, and it's not necessarily predictive of what's to come. But here is what has happened. National so far this season as a team with runners in scoring position, 222 batting average, 332 on base, 334 slugging percentage. Just awful numbers in the biggest spots in games so far this season. Hopefully that turns around. It almost certainly will. It's hard to be that bad with runners in scoring position over the course of a year, but that's been what's gone down so far this season. Nats have not been nearly clutch enough over these first, you know, six, seven weeks worth of games. And we mentioned the other night about the bases loaded. It's even worse, 150 batting average for the season with the bases loaded. Again, that can't happen. But here's where there is something to it. When you have a team that is struggling and they know they're struggling to score runs, there is inherently extra pressure they put on themselves when they come up in those spots. These are human beings. They do treat an at-bat in the seventh inning with runners on second and third and two outs differently than they treat an at-bat with nobody on base leading off the third inning. 
They just do. So there is something to it. And yes, some of it's fluky and they're going to break out of it. But they also, as Davey keeps preaching, they just got to relax and go out and do what they know how to do. There's no need to add even more pressure to yourself at this time because that's only going to make things worse. Hey guys, Al Galdi here to tell you about FanDuel. I'm so excited that we have baseball. There's nothing like watching a game with great weather, a cold drink, and a little action on FanDuel Sportsbook. If you've never bet on baseball before, now's actually the perfect time to give that a shot because FanDuel is letting new users swing for the fences risk-free. You'll get up to $1,000 back if your first bet doesn't win. And once you have an account, you can get up to $25 back each day if your same-game parlay bet Falls one leg short. This way you can combine multiple baseball bets for an even bigger win all season long. Big day in Maryland as Governor Larry Hogan signed sports gambling into law. But in the meantime, for those in Virginia looking for afternoon baseball action to wager on, look into the ex-Nat Lucas Giolito and the Chicago White Sox at the Minnesota Twins. There's a reason that FanDuel Sportsbook is America's number one sportsbook. The app is simple to use. They've got great odds in all different betting markets, unique fun bet types like same-game parlay and always-on promotions that let you get more action out of every game day. And when you win, FanDuel will pay you your winnings in as little as 24 hours. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and sign up with promo code CHAT to get in on the action. 21 plus and present Colorado, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, or West Virginia. First on my real money wager, only for risk-free bet. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site. Credit that expires in seven days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-9-WITH-IT-INDIANA. 1-800-270-7111 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-GAMBLER. New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Virginia. Tennessee, 1-800-889-9789. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. Are you interested in buying or selling your home? Support for Nats Chat comes from Rachel Levy of Compass Real Estate. By focusing on the personal parts of the real estate process and using technology to simplify the rest, Rachel seamlessly guides her clients through their experience. Rachel uses her deep local knowledge and exceptional customer service to advocate for her clients all across D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. To learn more, follow her on Instagram at Real Estate Rachel. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. The set by Corbin, the pitch, swinging a ground ball, diving, stop Turner off his glove, and all hands are safe. In from third to score is Horner. To second is Contreras, and on at first with the infield hit and RBI is Chris Bryant. He drives in his 26th run of the year, and the Cubs are back in front, 3-2. to two. So on the mound for the Nationals on Tuesday night was Patrick Corbin, and Patrick Corbin this season very much has been the box of chocolate starter in the Nationals rotation. You never know what you're going to get. Corbin on Tuesday night actually thought was better than the final line ended up indicating. The phrase for this to me is Corbin got babbipped. You know, BABIP is batting average on balls in play. To me, he got babbipped on Tuesday night. Three runs in five innings on eight hits, all of which were singles, many of which were just kind of unlucky bounces of baseballs. There was that one infield single that took that weirdo bounce to Starling Castro at third base where it bounces from foul territory somehow into fair territory right at Castro. And it ended up being, it was a leadoff infield single by David Bowie in that two-run Cubs third inning. Stuff like that seemed to happen a whole lot to Corbin in the game. Multiple balls hit to Trey Turner where he, you know, he made a decent attempt at it but was unable to come through. The play ended up being an infield single. So for Corbin, three runs, five innings on eight hits, all of which were singles, two walks, four strikeouts, 87 pitches. I'm not here to tell you he was great. He wasn't, you know, certainly pitched to a lot of contact. When you do that, you're subjected to the variance of the batted ball. But I didn't think he was as bad as three runs and five innings would suggest. No, I agree. He got a couple of double play balls, which was big. Like you said, the infield singles, the two run single by Contreras, that kind of hurt. That was the biggest blow probably against him. And he could have kept going. I think it was just a matter of they need to try to generate some offense and it just wasn't really happening in this game. I will say that Bodie play you're talking about, the foul ball that rolled back fair. This happened to me as a kid once in Little League and I didn't know the rule. And I saw the ball go foul, and so I didn't run, and it rolled back fair, and they threw me out, and I looked around, like, what? What are you talking about? That's a foul ball. And I learned the hard way, and I've always known it ever since. (laughs) Always run it out. You never know what might happen. You get a crazy bounce. It hits a pebble, weird spin or something like that. I have remembered that's one since I was about eight or nine years old, whenever it happened to me. Don't ever give up on a a foul ball because it could always come back fair. Tales from Little League, from Mark Zuckerman. (laughs) See, even Zook's contributing to the cause. We like that. Uh, It was kind of a weird night for the Nationals defensively, I thought, too. I I mentioned, you know, like there were some plays Trey Turner could have made. He was unable to. Trey had a throwing error in the game. Juan Soto dropped the baseball before he could make the throw on the one-out, two-run single by Wilson Contreras in the bottom of the third. No error was charged there. But you also had some good defensive moments, including Jan Gomes throwing out two more guys, attempting, trying to steal Jan Gomes, who, as we've noted, has done a pretty good job, all things considered, offensively this season, is now 8 for 18 
on runners trying to steal this season. That's a tremendous job by Jan. I think he's tied for the most in the majors now for catchers, which is, you know, that's great that he's been able to do that. It's been such an improvement from last year. And Kurt Suzuki, now in Anaheim, at last check had the worst defensive run saved among all catchers in the big leagues. And, you know, hey, Kurt did a lot of good things for them, helped them win a a championship. But behind the plate, he was a liability for them. Give up a ton of stolen bases. And uh, this year, opponents have stolen 15 out of 17 off of Kurt. <laughs> so you can see what a difference that makes. And yeah, that has helped them. That's one of those little things that has gone very well. Jan Gomes having a solid year for them. And, you know, he, he's not supposed to be the one who's carrying the team. Uh, he's a role player, but he has done a really nice job with a, a heavy workload. He's catching pretty much like four out of five games right now. And, um, you know, that's been a definite positive for them and it has made a difference. And eventually maybe it will make a difference in them winning games when they're a little bit closer. And one of those caught stealing is is the difference between winning and losing. All right. Nationals bullpen on Tuesday night. Four Nats relievers combined to give up three runs in three innings. Will Harris, bottom of the six, gives up two runs, records just two outs. Tanner Rainey does retire the only batter he faces to end the bottom of the six. Austin Voth, does toss a scoreless seventh. Wander Suero, though, gives up a leadoff homer to Ian Happ in the bottom of the eighth. The Nationals' bullpen is starting to come back down to earth here. There have been some runs given up now by this bullpen in recent games. You go back to Monday night, two runs, one earned in two and two-thirds innings from the pen. The 11-4 loss at Arizona on Saturday night, three runs in four innings. Suero gave up a homer to David Peralta. Both gave up a homer to Eduardo Escobar. Friday night, the 17-2 win. Even in that game, Will Harris gave up a run in the bottom of the sixth. Harris has not looked good so far this season, but I think kind of the larger point here is, and it wasn't going to continue, like the bullpen wasn't going to be spectacular throughout the year. And I feel like, you know, we're seeing this year as the offense continues to struggle, you know, the bullpen hasn't kept pitching at that A plus level. Like the bullpen to me has come back down. We saw that again, I thought on Tuesday night. Yeah, you're right about that. Harris is the troubling one to me, both in this game. He starts off with a four pitch walk. He just can't do that in a tie game. Four-pitch walk, can't do that, and then gives up the home run. And he admitted afterwards he thought that this might have been the worst stuff he's ever had in a big league game. The cutter, which is his bread and butter pitch, was only 88 to 90, barely rounded up to 90. I think it was 89.7 was the hardest that he threw it. That's not good. So the velocity was down. The command was not good. And you know we got to remember, they still haven't really figured out what's causing his issue with his hand that they thought was the blood clot. It wasn't. He still has some swelling. He's kind of learned how to deal with this, but he admitted that there are days that it's going to feel good and days that it doesn't. That's a problem for someone who's supposed to be holding a prominent role in your bullpen. You can't just cherry pick your spots with him anymore. He's got to be available when you need him. So that to me is a little bit of a concern in the bigger picture. Rainey's had his moments. There's been times that he started to look better, but he's certainly not all the way back. Austin Voth, I think we knew wasn't going to be perfect, of course. Suero did give up the home run on on a changeup. And it just I know they get frustrated when he gives up big hits, not on his best pitch. His cutter is his best pitch. They want him throwing that more. Hudson and Hand have been good, you know, the couple times that they're just not getting to them because they don't have a lead. So I guess it boils back down to what we said earlier. They need six, seven quality innings from their starters so that they can then go to their best relievers and try to win games that way. I, I think it was probably too much to ask for you know six or seven deep in a bullpen to be that good like we saw for much of the first month of the season. Oh, by the way, speaking of the bullpen, so Patrick Corbin in starting on Tuesday night was officially reinstated from the paternity list. Paolo Espino was optioned back to AAA Rochester 
but remains with the ball club. He was returned to the taxi squad for the rest of the road trip. So technically, he's been optioned to Rochester, but he's still with the team. That's how good Paolo is. He gets optioned, and he's still on the Major League Ball Club. I love it. They love him. I mean, you know, he has done everything you could ask. He even gave a run finally on Monday night, which is too bad. He did. It speaks, and we make fun of this, but it speaks to something else. Players like that who have worked their way through this and who have spent years and years grinding away in the minor leagues and don't give up. And then when they finally get their shot, they make the most of it and they have a good attitude about it. That resonates with GMs and managers. And so when it comes time to send somebody down, even if that's the guy they send down, they say, hey, you know what? We're going to call you again. You don't have a bad attitude about it. I've seen other more highly touted players get sent down and you never hear from them again because they didn't like the way that they handled the demotion. I think Paolo Espino has showed that Number one, he can pitch effectively up here. But number two, he knows who he is. He understands his role. And he's not going to take it personally when he gets sent down. And I think because of that, we are going to see him again in the big leagues. Well, we have right now a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt that you got to have. If you're a listener to this podcast, you can buy your Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt by going to this website, natschatpodcast.square.site. I think the next t-shirt we got to come out with is a Paolo Espino t-shirt. Now, I know there are licensing issues. We'll have to work around those. But, you know, Paolo Power or the power of Paolo or something like that. We've got to come up with something here in honor of our guy who's so good, even when he gets option to the minors, he still stays at the major league level. That's like something Chuck Norris would do. Norris and Espino, man. That's a duo right there. Hey, Nat Chat listeners, Tim Shovers here to tell you about Sunday Scaries CBD gummies. If you struggle with sleep like myself and you stay awake at night and stare at the ceiling and you're always looking for new ways to help you fall asleep, this is a route to go. My head hits the pillow and right away I go to sleep. That hasn't happened to me ever before in my entire life. Fortunately, it's because of Sunday Scaries. They make products specifically for overthinkers and night owls like myself. Sunday Scary CBD gummies help me decompress, clear my head, and fall asleep so I can wake up and get on with my business the next day. Natchat listeners, we got a special promo offer for you. Go to sundayscaries.com, type in the promo code NATSCHAT, and get 25% off your first order. That's 25% off your first order if you go on to sundayscaries.com and type in the promo code NATSCHAT. Again, sundayscaries.com, promo code NATSCHAT. Save 25% off your first order. Big game for the Nationals on Wednesday night because you can't be threatening to be the victim of a four-game sweep at the Cubs. This would be a nightmare if that's what ends up happening here. Nats have got to start getting some wins on the season. It's not happening. You know, it's been this herky-jerky season, one step forward, two steps back, that kind of a thing. The game does set up to be a game that the Nats should win. Very interesting pitching matchup, too. Max Scherzer versus Jake Arrieta, Wednesday night at 740. Now, look, Arrieta is not the pitcher he was back in, you know, 2015, 2016. He's got an ERA of 410 on the season, over seven starts. Max, of course, has been outstanding. Coming off kind of a weird game, that 17-2 win at the Diamondbacks on Friday night. Didn't, you know, need to do much in that game. He was good, but it was a short outing due to the sore throat. I guess Davey just didn't want to push things. Five scoreless innings for Scherzer in that game. Wrigley Field, you know, you got to be mindful of the home run, which you know has been a problem for Max, though basically since his first game of the season, the homer thing really hasn't been that much of an issue. No, he's been great at keeping the ball in the yard. And I forgot the stat. I'll have to look it up tomorrow. I believe he has only given up one earned run this year that did not come off a home run. And that was on the fly ball that Victor Robles lost in the sun at Dodger Stadium. 
Robles going back, shading his eyes with his glove, and he lost it in the sun. It lands on the warning track up against the wall, and Muncy, all the way around, comes in to score. I think every other run he has allowed has come on a home run, and that tells you how good the stuff still is because we were talking before about how the Nats have to try to string together a bunch of hits to score runs. Well, against Max Scherzer, you can't do it that way. You can only do it by hitting the ball out of the park. You're not getting three, four hits in an inning against him. And the shorter start last time out, only 85 pitches and five scoreless innings, I think, and I'm not saying this was intended at the time, but I think this helps set him up even better for this game. He is fresh. I think you'll see Davey be willing to push him a little more than he would have otherwise. And maybe this is one of those starts where he can top 110 pitches, especially if it's a close game late. I would not be surprised to see him in there a little longer rope than we've seen from him early in the season. Nats are just 4-10 and since getting to 12-12 and with the three-game sweep of the Miami Marlins April 30th through May 2nd. So we're starting something new here on the Nats Chat Podcast, and that is voicemails from you. Send us your voice memos. Just use your smartphone. If you have an iPhone, just search for voice memo. Very easy to record yourself saying something about the Nationals, asking a question about the Nationals, and then just email what you have to us at natschatpodcast at gmail.com. We have our very first voice memo, and it comes to us from Paul from Ontario. Hey guys, love the show. This is Paul from Lindsay, Ontario, Canada. I would like to know, with all these pitchers pitching bullpen sessions two days after they start, how come no team has ever taken advantage of that and had them use their bullpen session by throwing an inning or two in a real game? I'll hang up and listen to your answer. All right, so Paul Mark, with a very smart and interesting question, the idea of, hey, can't we do a better job with these bullpen sessions for pitchers? and maximize those to where maybe instead of just throwing in a bullpen, a pitcher throws in a relief outing in between games, in between starts. What do you make of that? Yeah, thanks for the question, Paul. I like this one a lot. This is a good one for us to get started on because that is an intelligent question, somebody who's been paying attention to what goes on. And I I think it's a, a valid thing to ask. Here's why it doesn't happen, though. The difference between what you're throwing with the effort that you're throwing in a bullpen session which is just your between starts working on things versus what you get in one inning of relief in a real game is night and day. And pitchers will tell you that. It is maximum effort in a game. It is full velocity. It is high stress. Especially if you think about your pitching in relief, chances are that's a big spot late in the game. And it's not just a, a simple uh, you know blowout game and just go out and go through the motion. So you do see it every once in a while, maybe late in the season if there's a must-win game. And certainly you see it in the playoffs. And so think back to 2019 when Max Scherzer pitched out of the bullpen in game two at Dodger Stadium of the NLDS. That was his between starts day. And so what you will sometimes see teams do is when they know that it is a pitcher's throw day like that, they will purposely have him not throw his bullpen session, hang out in the bullpen all game and be available in case they do need him. And then if it gets to a point in the game, you realize now we're not going to need him. Every once in a while, you'll actually see a guy warming up in the bullpen and you think, oh, wait, is that is he coming into this game tonight? It's like, no, he's just getting his work in. So they were waiting just in case. You see it in the regular season occasionally, too, if maybe the team had a really uh, short start the day before, had to use up a lot of their bullpen, they need a fresh arm. They may tell their starter who was had a bullpen day, hey, go out there, wait, don't do it. Maybe we'll use you in the game for that one inning. But generally speaking, the issue is it's so high stress. 
to pitch in a game that they don't want to risk injury or burning you out just to get that one inning out of you. I also think too, and not that this would go for every pitcher, but especially if a guy is in a contract year, I'm not sure that he wants to risk his stats getting all inflated because he had this one bad relief outing in a weird day where, you know, he was supposed to throw a bullpen and instead he was used in relief and he gave up a two-run homer and that just skewed things. Like I could see, especially with pitchers being creatures of habit, you know, like they're so meticulous with this stuff. I could see a lot of guys pushing back on this, especially older pitchers. Like the, the guy who the Nationals are facing on Wednesday night, a guy like Jake Arrieta, who I've heard some things about, like there's no way a guy like that would ever <laughs> agree to do something like that. Some of these guys would, would uh, rather cut their arm off then do something like that. Pitch in a relief outing as opposed to the usual bullpen session. Maybe with lesser pitchers, maybe with younger pitchers. But yeah, I think you'd have a lot of pushback from a a certain segment of the pitching population. And I think, again, look at when the Nats did it. I think a veteran is willing to do it when there's a shot at a title. (laughs) You know, that's where they're willing to go above and beyond. Look what Patrick Corbin did. It's not the exact same thing, but he pitched out of the bullpen a lot. In the postseason in 2019, he wanted to try to help them win a title. Scherzer pitched one game. Strasburg pitched one game out of the bullpen. That's a different story when you get to that point. But on, you know, May 18th, probably not as much for most of these guys who, like you said, are very much creatures of habit and don't like to just be thrown in there into a situation they're not used to, especially when it could cost them financially and uh, physically as well. Do you think we will ever get to the point where... We stop categorizing pitchers as starters and relievers, and they're just pitchers. And like the model has changed to where instead of teams getting caught up in a five-man rotation and who's in the starting rotation versus who's in the bullpen, it's just a pitching staff, and you just kind of use these guys as you see fit. I know you know there will be the special ones like the Max Scherzers who can do this and go out seven, eight innings at a time and be dominant. But you know he is so much the exception as opposed to the rule, especially with guys throwing shorter innings, especially with the higher velocity phenomenon that's going on, you know, Tommy John surgeries, et cetera. We've gotten closer to that, but we're not there yet. The idea of just doing away with these labels of starters and relievers and just having pitchers and just deploying those pitchers however you see fit in a given game, in a given season. Do you think we'll ever get to that point? So we did, like in the last couple of years, start to get glimpses of that and some talk, like, could that ever happen? Like what the Tampa Bay Rays do you know, the Brewers, I think, do it a lot. Could that actually be a model? And then what you end up seeing happening, though, is that very often the teams that ultimately are winning it all are the ones that have great starting pitching. (laughs) And there's still value in that. And that's why they're paid so handsomely. Now, not every team can do it. So I think you may see, you know, the lower budget teams try to do it the way that you're describing it. But I think as long as you have the Dodgers, the Yankees, the Nationals, uh, you know, the Astros, the Cubs, teams that can afford to spend big on starting pitching, as long as there's enough of them out there that are still really good for six, seven innings at a time, I think they will still be valued. And I don't think the game is going to change. And again, over 162, that stuff wears you down. Like the Rays have done a brilliant job, but you know how many different pitchers they ultimately need. They have to keep pumping out new ones from their farm system constantly to make it work. Now, they've done a great job at it, but I don't know that every franchise is able to consistently develop that many pitchers to be able to handle it. So I think there's actually some thought within the the, the sport right now that we're going to see a reversal and go back to the idea of starting pitching is what ultimately wins for you and trying to develop young pitchers to be able to give you six, seven innings and 100 plus pitches 
ultimately that's going to make them more durable for their careers. And I think teams will win more games because of it. Yeah, it just feels like, though, there are fewer and fewer guys who can do that. You know, like it's almost like a, a dying species, like people that can go seven, eight innings with any kind of regularity. You know, it wasn't that long ago that like you go 220 innings in a season, like, okay, that's good. Now it's 200 innings. You know, a few years from now, it might be like 180 innings. Like the standard keeps lessening and lessening for what a good starting pitching season is in terms of workload. And I don't know. I think, too, the financial model is such like if you're, you know, we know how these owners can be, right? What would you rather do as an owner? Spend 200 plus million dollars on one arm and cross your fingers and close your eyes that the guy stays healthy and lives up to the contract? Or spread out your resources, buy up a bunch of pitchers, and you know, diversify a little bit and just kind of do it like you're not paying anyone that much and you're just kind of relying on depth, you know, relying on quantity as opposed to quality. I mean, again, I get this. This is very much against the grain. It's very much against the way like we're all conditioned to think about baseball. But to your point, like with what we've seen with the Rays and the Brewers, it can be done. It's not easy, but it can be done. And uh, I just, you know, I think about like 10, 15 years from now, is it possible that like maybe half a major league baseball or three fourths of major league baseball is trying to do pitching that way? Again, I think there will be some franchises that view that as their best way of doing it. But I think you're still going to have big spenders willing to fork over all the money to go for the big name starters. And, you know, how do you get more starters to be able to do that? You know what they need to go back to doing is let them pitch in the minor leagues. Let them go. Don't cap them at 90 pitches. Let them go. There, There is absolutely a philosophy among some in the sport now of we've babied these guys too much and it's not necessarily preventing injuries. They still end up getting hurt. Build them up in the minors. Let them get used to that kind of workload. So when they reach the big leagues, they are able to go 100, 110 pitches every five days and not break down and still be effective. I, I know a lot of people in the sport would love to see that happen. It's such a trend sport and it's always somebody finding that new edge. I wonder if that might actually be an edge that somebody figures out and say, hey, we're going to let our starters go deep in the minor leagues and see if that pays off down the road when they reach the big leagues. You tell us what you think. You can hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email us Nats chat podcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to become a sponsor of the Nats Chat Podcast. And remember, you can send us your voice memos, your voice messages. If you want to opine on this or anything else, uh, record yourself asking a question, making a comment, and then email that to us, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast.